listeners. Welcome to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden, and on this show, we examine some of humanity's deepest fears and how we have learned to manage them. Superstitions are stories we tell to protect ourselves from the danger that lurks in the shadows. Stories we tell to give meaning to misfortune, to loss, and tragedy. That's never more true than in the case of today's superstition, which tells us that when an owl hoots in the night, the sound is more than a spine-tingling oddity of nature. It's an omen of death. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, strange birds foretell stranger tragedies. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The Owl Eek, that of death, the bode he bringeth, wrote legendary author Geoffrey Chaucer. Or translated from 14th century English, the owl brings tidings of death. But Chaucer wasn't the first to have the idea, nor the last. The owl has reportedly been seen as a harbinger of death since at least the second century, when one of these nocturnal birds was found perched over the door of the Roman Emperor Antoninus, just before he passed away. But as the superstition goes, the owl doesn't have to be perched on your lintel to spell death. All they have to do is sit on a tree branch above your head and loose their strange, almost human call into the night. And someone you know is done for. Edna sat up from her dining table abruptly, slamming her laptop shut and grabbing her keys in one swift motion. She'd had an unproductive afternoon trying to grade papers, but how could she concentrate after seeing the news? There was a snowy owl in Central Park for the first time in 130 years, and if she didn't go see it, she'd never be able to concentrate again. Outside, the city was bustling. Sirens wailed in the distance, cabbies cursed at each other, a woman yelled into her phone while power walking down the street. Edna loved it all. It was part of why she had moved here. So different from the way she'd grown up, the constant, eerie quiet of the country, the long nights of crickets and the odd sound of owls hooting in the distance. Even now, the thought made her shiver. Some people liked all that country stuff, found it peaceful, not her. To be fair, it wasn't all the country's fault. There had been nothing peaceful about her father's big old house and the creaking walls and all the dead birds pinned up on walls with nothing around for miles. Nothing but woods and more birds for her father to shoot 
gut, and stuff. But an upbringing like that gave you an interest in birds anyway, however morbid. So, naturally, here she was, hurrying towards Central Park's first snowy owl in 130 years. Not to kill it, but to marvel at it, from a distance, for a little while. And then, to watch it fly away free. First, Edna saw the crowd, clustered around a fenced-off field, holding phones and cameras over their heads. She circled for a moment, looking for her route, and then she cut in like the New Yorker she'd become. Through the pressing bodies, through the jostling cameras, and straight up to the fence. There it was, standing, just standing, in the middle of the field, as if it had accepted that it was on display and couldn't be bothered to put on a show. But it was a show. It couldn't help it, with that beautiful coat white with black speckles, as plush and thick as the finest cashmere sweater on Park Avenue. It was facing away, though. Edna couldn't see its face. And then, its neck twisted, the way only an owl's can. More than 180 degrees, Edna's heart started to pound. Her head felt fuzzy. She could almost smell the strange chemical scent of her father's workshop, almost hear the dark, oppressive silence as he dissected a bird corpse, almost see the yellow glass eyes he worked into the empty sockets. But this bird still had its beady, living eyes. They glowed orange in the fading afternoon sun. And they were looking straight at her. Looking at the crowd, she told herself, this wasn't about her, or her father, or her bizarre, lonely childhood. This was just a cool owl sighting in Central Park. It belonged to everyone here, and the owl didn't care about any of them, clearly. Taking a deep breath, she loosened her hands on the fence. Then she settled in to do what she'd intended. Observe and appreciate something rare and beautiful. As afternoon slipped into evening, the crowd around Edna dispersed. The street lamps lining the nearby path flickered on. The sounds of children playing faded into silence. But Edna didn't move, and neither did the owl. Edna was thinking about her father calmly now, like her therapist had taught her. She hadn't seen him in years. Maybe that was why her memories of him still felt so powerful. When she thought about her childhood calmly, she felt empathy for him. An old man from another generation stuck all alone with a daughter no one had taught him to care for. Meanwhile, it was his much younger wife who died early and left him Edna's only caregiver. All he'd wanted to do was his research for his work at the university where he taught ancient Greek. More often though, he was reading about owls or examining them. Such a strange hobby, he never really told her why he was so obsessed. Staring at the owl, Edna felt like she was on the verge of understanding for perhaps the first time. It was as if an invisible string was pulling her over the fence toward the bird. But it was the owl that moved first. It started to walk toward her, its long, skinny legs moving with a speed she didn't expect its round, feathered body bouncing almost comically. Edna glanced around, eyes wide. 
The photographers from earlier would have been delighted, but they were all gone. It was just her and the bird now. But this time, she was sure it was looking right at her. When the owl was just a yard away, it finally stopped. And then, with a magnificent flapping show of wings, it lifted off from the ground and up the tree above Edna's head, where calmly, slowly, it let loose its cry and then lifted off once again. Edna felt her heart soaring with the bird, that freedom and beauty so alive yet just as eerie as her father's mounted corpses. But as the bird disappeared from sight, the spell was broken. Her cell phone rang, an unknown number. She hesitated. It felt almost criminal to do something as banal as answer the phone. Still, it could be important. She picked it up. An unfamiliar voice asked if this was Edna Adams. Edna said yes. The voice said they were so glad they'd reached her. It had been a little hard to find the number for next of kin. Her father had had an accident. He'd been driving home on a dark country road. There'd been a sharp turn. His car spun out and crashed. He would have died instantly. No pain. I'm so sorry to have to share this kind of news, the voice concluded softly. Edna was silent for a long moment. At first, she couldn't speak. She felt like the wind had been knocked out of her stomach. Then, she didn't know what to say. What did one say to a call like this? She managed to whisper, I see. The voice continued with a hospital name and address and then asked if she had any questions. Edna said no. She said she'd be there as soon as she could. And then she hung up. She had to find a car, now. It was 9 p.m. by the time she was in the zip car, 10 p.m. by the time she drove through the tunnel and out of the city. The roads were quiet, no traffic at this hour, but it was a long drive to where she was going. The big, straight highway would only take her part of the way. Then it was the small, winding one, and then the little two-lane roads and the long, private driveway lined with oak trees. Except, not that last one. She wasn't going home. Not yet. The next 24 hours were a whirlwind. There was the hospital, the strange look of her father's pale, cold body, her first look at his face in almost three years. Then there were the arrangements with the funeral home, with his colleagues at the university. They'd host a small memorial service, the emails to her students, class was cancelled until next week, the meeting with the lawyer, a small pension for his housekeeper, a bequest to the university, the rest went to her, there was no one else. Edna didn't sleep, and she didn't cry, she just felt shaky constantly, and confused, and terrified to cross the final hurdle of this trip, going home. She told herself she wasn't putting it off. There were just all these things that had to be attended to. Going to the house was the least of her priorities, but then everything was attended to. She drove through the oak canopy. She pulled into the circular drive. She stepped out of the zip car, and then she walked around to the back of the house and the unlocked kitchen door. 
The kitchen was the same as always. Tidy, ancient appliances, a well-used microwave. Bookshelves shoved into the corners because there were too many for the living room alone. Edna ran a finger along the dusty edge of the stove and moved on into the hall. A series of paintings of the Acropolis hung on the wall. The large, dark wood door of her father's study loomed. Edna took a deep breath and pushed it open. The walls were still covered with birds, hundreds of them. Edna couldn't help but stare. They were everywhere. All the way up to the ceiling, all colors, a few ravens and odd other birds here and there, but mostly owls. Owl after owl after owl with vacant glass eyes. Some she recognized. They'd watched her grow up from the mounts. She'd even talked to them when she was especially lonely. But there were new owls up there too. She didn't recognize that one with the chipped beak hanging open or the one that had red glass eyes. Edna swallowed, dragging her gaze away. It landed on the desk. She'd spent her childhood watching her father sit there. He'd glance up from his papers when she bothered him for long enough, desperate for attention, and he'd be glowering with annoyance. Edna rounded the desk and sat down, placing her hands on the surface. She felt small sitting here. Her father had been a tall man, and this was a tall chair beneath the tall table, but she still wasn't crying. She laid her head down on the polished wood and closed her eyes. Then she ran her hands along the knobs of the drawers and pulled, ruffled through the contents, a pack of cigarettes, a lighter, a few letters, bills, something from a colleague. At the bottom though, there was a folder, black, with a neatly written label on the top corner, Owl's Findings. Edna's eyes widened. So there had been a reason for her father's owl obsession, some kind of research objective. She'd always suspected. She glanced back up at the walls. She could almost feel the glass eyes watching her intently. She opened the folder. Then she almost threw it across the room. The heading on the first page read, Death Magic. Coming up, we learn the death magic of owls. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Edna sat staring at her father's research. Death magic. It turns out he hadn't just been a cold, bird-obsessed recluse and a distant father. He'd been fully off his rocker. But she thought back to that snowy owl in the park earlier. Strange how she'd seen him the day her father died. She had to admit she was curious. 
So she leaned closer to the page, squinting at her father's ornate cursive handwriting, and read. It was academic speak, the way he always talked, of course. But her heart started pounding all the same. Owls. Historically associated with death. Sea ravens. Root in ancient Rome. Physical attributes. Neck. Horn feathers. Devil connection. Hypothesis? There is a reason for association. Death magic. Death magic underlined. Then there was a subheading. Experiments. These notes were harder to understand, and they went on for pages. There were lots of numbers, something about decibels, maybe related to the volume of the owl's cry, and weight, the size of various owls. There were distance measures too, and other figures she couldn't even guess at. Edna sat back in her chair, shaking her head. No wonder he'd never told her about what he was researching. No wonder he kept such a distance from her, from everyone. He was living in another world, the world of those ancient Greeks he studied, maybe, where magic coexisted alongside human society. But of course, he didn't go for some kind of fun, light-hearted magic. He went for death magic. Edna shook her head, fighting off a wave of bitter sadness. Still, she glanced around the room, and a chill ran down her back. It was strange to be here, all alone with these stuffed birds, knowing her father killed them in some kind of attempt to understand the magic surrounding death. Eerie. And she could almost hear feathers ruffling. But that was absurd. All the birds on the walls were dead. She had to be imagining it. She stood up abruptly. She needed to get out of here. She just didn't have the energy for another long haul back to the city. She could make it through the night. Edna tried to stay calm. She climbed into her childhood bed and played some Tetris on her laptop while NPR droned in the background. Then she closed the computer, she shut off the lamp, and she tried to drift off to sleep. Except Edna couldn't sleep. She kept hearing that strange sound, like bird feathers ruffling. And her thoughts were spinning like a yo-yo, up, down, into the past, back to the present. Mostly on the topic of birds. The birds on the walls downstairs, her father's research, then, now, the snowy owl from earlier. The way it had looked at her so intensely and directly. And that strange timing, the birds hoot above her head, then the phone call. Edna shot up from her pillow, frustrated. She didn't want these thoughts. This was ridiculous. What would her therapist say? Probably that she was being influenced by her environment, by the strange 48 hours she'd just lived through, by the trauma of revisiting a place that had so much pain attached by her father's death. Although she still hadn't cried for him. But then Edna remembered something her father had said about states like this. Waking sleeping, in between states. He'd said they left you open to other dimensions, to magic. 
Edna swallowed wrong and almost choked. Her head swam, her stomach felt strange too, but she squared her shoulders and swung her legs out of bed. Fine, Daddy, you win. I'm going to look for magic. Death magic. And she knew just where to start. His workshop. The house was cold as Edna descended the stairs, her bare feet picking up small splinters from the old floors. They needed sanding, she thought reflexively. But mostly, her mind was on the dark, damp room ahead of her. Down the last flight of stairs, to the basement. It was pitch black. As she felt her way from step to step, she wondered what she was even looking for. But she kept going. It was a deep basement, unusually deep. At the bottom of the staircase, thankfully, was a lamp. She flicked it on, and then she saw them, lying across the long work table. Not birds, but rats. Hundreds of them, lying in haphazard piles, their little legs twisted at strange angles, their naked, scaly tails poking out in all directions. Dead. All of them. And there, along the back wall, cages full of owls. Living owls. Edna just stared at it all, frozen, stock still. Clearly, her father hadn't been done with his experiments when he died. There was a pile of papers on the shelf next to her. She dragged her eyes away from the rats and pulled the stack down. As she read the first page, the owls started to hoot. The sound was disorienting, and it kept getting louder, like it was inside her head. But Edna read on anyway. Can the magic be reversed? Under what conditions can the energy be channeled backwards so that the bird dies and the man lives? or the woman. Then, scrawled at the bottom corner of the page, as if absent-mindedly, were the words, Isabel. Always for Isabel. It had been so many years since she'd seen her mother's name. Suddenly, the owls fell silent. Edna slowly looked up at them. They stared back at her intently, as if they were waiting. Her pulse quickened. Then, out of the corner of her eye, she thought she saw something move. Her eyes darted to the table. It was just the dead rats. But were they twitching? Edna's breath caught in her throat. Now, they were squirming. A moment later, they were running. Edna screamed and turned back up the stairs. Her heart was pounding. She made it halfway up the staircase, one crazy thought bouncing through her mind. Had the owls seriously brought the rats back to life? But then, even more terrifying, silence suddenly fell. Edna stopped and turned back cautiously to see the rats lying still, some still on the table, some across the floors, some half up the stairs behind her, dead again. 
but not alone. There was also one single owl, no longer in its cage, sitting on the table, snowy white and speckled with black, just like the owl in Central Park. It was staring right at her with those same intense yellow eyes. But this time, it spoke. Little girl, the little girl who daddy never had time for. You're lucky he didn't draw you in further. You would have died with the games he was playing. Died like he had to. Edna stared back at the bird, eyes wide. She was astonished, and yet somehow this made more sense than anything else that had happened the past 48 hours. Then, finally, amidst all the terror, the grief came crashing down, because now she understood. Isabel, her mother, he had wanted her back so desperately. She'd never known that, because he never talked about her. But maybe it was all to protect her. Because if he'd drawn her into the strange world of dead alive birds and swarming rats, perhaps he was afraid she'd die too. The bird continued. You will settle your father's debts now. The payment is simple. Open all these cages. Open all the windows in the house and the doors. And then go outside and wait. With that, the bird gave a screech spread its snowy wings and swept past Edna up the stairs. She stood still for a moment, and then she began to move. Slowly but steadily, she unlatched the cages. Then she climbed the stairs and opened the windows. One by one, the caged owls streamed out into the sky. Edna stepped out onto the lawn under the moonlight and watched through the window as her father's study began to move. First, it was feathers rustling and ruffling. Then those sinewy, slender legs twitching and kicking. The birds began to free themselves from their stands and hopped to the desk, the floor. Edna watched, smiling and crying as they started streaming out the window. There were ravens too and other odd birds her father had stuffed, all of them Many she recognized from years of passing them on the walls. But now they were flying, free, through the sky, alive. Death is not the only superstition tied to the owl. But like the idea that the birds are harbingers of death, most of these superstitions suggest that they are dangerous or bad luck. A few focus on their apparent wisdom, although researchers and bird enthusiasts have actually found that owls are not particularly clever, unlike ravens, their fellow eerie avians. But the legends around owls are not based in fact, nor do they seem to be based in myth. Instead, the enduring fascination of the owl and the many superstitions that surround it appear to be based on the simple, alarming qualities of the bird itself. 
its unsettling, beautiful appearance. Its disturbing ability to twist its head around almost, but not quite, 360 degrees. Its sometimes horn-like tufted feathers perched above yellow eyes, which, for Christians like Chaucer, are evocative of the devil himself. And, of course, its human-like cry. What person hearing that screech in the dark forest at night wouldn't think of human pain? of loss and death and the darkness that besets us from all sides. It's no surprise that cultures from ancient Greece to medieval England to contemporary America share a fear of that sound and have come to the same conclusion, that when an owl speaks, death follows. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. We will be back on Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Superstitions was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. 